Hi, I'm Shelly. I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Last time we talked about ARC, the adrenaline response cycle. And Cam pointed out that I got a little ahead of myself. I got really excited about talking about how to redefine your relationship with time as a person with ADHD, which we are going to talk about at some point. But in typical ADHD fashion, I got a little ahead of myself, doing things a little out of order. And What? Cam- you? <laughs> what? It happens. And Cam caught that for me, which I appreciate. So we're going to take a step back from that. And we're going to talk first about how to know that you're ready for change and how to prepare to be ready for change as a person with ADHD. Because when our clients come to us, often they're in that place of something needs to change. I can't keep going the way that I'm going. Right. But they're not always ready for change. So sometimes with clients, the very first work we do is getting them ready for change. Yeah, we actually, we've, we have a, in coaching, we call that coachability. And maybe in our program notes, we can put that coachability assessment in, right? I think it's a, it's a nice document to look at and, and get a sense of, um, is someone ready to enter into a coaching partnership to create that change? By the way, I'll say you don't have to have a coach in order to create change. I'll say that too. Absolutely. So readiness for change is if you're looking to hire a coach, if you're looking to use this podcast and the information here as a catalyst for change. It applies either way, right? Yeah. Uh, Or you can go somewhere else and create that change, right? Don't have to do it with Cam and Shelly. (laughs) But we'd love it if you did. But we'd love it if you did. (laughs) So what is readiness for change, Cam? Readiness for change is um, a couple of things, and I think I'm just going to make a list of, of a few of them. Probably missing a couple, but I think these are a couple good places to start. So first, um, and, and when we talk about readiness for change, as you said, it's about addressing your ADHD, right? Uh, understanding your ADHD uh, and uh, our concept of understanding, owning, and translating. Right, it's part of kind of our model for addressing ADD and living a better life with ADHD. Um, readiness for that change. There's a there's a few things that um, a couple steps to take to move you in the right direction. One is um, do your other work. So one can have ADHD. It's if you have ADHD, it's likely you might have something else like depression or anxiety. Um, also, you've had a life living with ADHD, so you have um, a history of again challenges around um, consistent performance, and that can stack up. Right, our sense of self can can be limiting. Um, right, negative self talk, and so doing your other work is working with someone else, another professional, to address the challenges that are not necessarily in the camp of ADHD. We'll come back to that. Let's just go through the list and then we'll address each of these. So do your other work, number one. Um, Number two, if you're going to 
create change, well, a good place to begin is how does change occur for you, right? What is change? Um, I think that for folks with ADHD, it often is um, not always planned. Um, we can sort of back our way into change. Um, it can be often sort of uh, chaotic and, and um, catastrophic, right? Going from crisis to crisis. So to kind of see how does change occur for you? Um, so there's change. Um, and, and I think that, let me back up a sec. Looking at how change occurs is really under this umbrella of strengthening awareness, right? Of So two big categories of do your other work and then start to strengthen this awareness muscle. And under awareness is how does change occur for you, right? To become a student of change, to become a student of time. And that's related to what you said last time is um, looking at improving your relationship with time. Well, before you can improve your relationship with time, we really have to understand um, time and how it passes for us. Uh, because there, that's a big factor in, in with, with a, a dealing with ADHD. Absolutely. Um, That'll be probably many, many episodes worth of content just around time. Right. And then... Next is, how does your ADHD show up? Um, so many folks are, that I've worked with are extremely smart about ADHD, but really don't know how their own ADHD shows up. And it's not because of lack of effort. It's because of the actual ADHD. And we'll come back to that too, but go ahead, Shelly. Well, and that's exactly where the concept of translating ADHD came from, right? The idea that to understand ADHD in a clinical sense, which many of our clients do, is very different than understanding and being able to articulate your own experience as a person with ADHD. Right. Remember my rant last time, you know, about how people kind of simplify um, the experience of, of living with and addressing ADD. And it's, it's not simple at all. And one of the big challenges is this breakdown between cause and effect that happens when you have ADHD. So right, if you have that breakdown, if you're always living at effect and not getting to the cause, it's really difficult to see how the ADHD actually shows up. Yes. Right? So, but it's possible. And that's the thing. It is possible to do. Um, and, and how the ADD shows up and how finally the, the last bullet point is how it disrupts you trying to create meaningful and sustaining change, right? Back to this arc around to creating change. ADD disrupts our ability to create positive change. So you start to understand that and appreciate it, then you can start to make a plan and a strategy to address it. Yeah. So this is about a deeper understanding of your own ADHD because most of our clients know that their ADHD is at least in part the root of their challenges, but they don't know specifically why. How is my ADHD showing up? How does change happen for me? What other work do I need to do? All these great questions that you're asking. And that's what we're here to try and help our listeners do and our clients do. 
So what when we say do your other work, what could that be, Shelley? Like what what is that? What, what that comes to mind for like? me and often with my clients and with myself is anxiety, depression. When you have these powerful other brain-based conditions that are emotional and the symptoms of those conditions are such that there's not room for change. And I can give you an example from my own life. When we moved, Cam, this is when I first started working with you as my coach. When we moved from our old house to our new house, life was very chaotic. Um, all of my systems and routines fell apart because we were in a new space and everything was different and in a different place. Right. And I became very depressed to the point that I was spending most of the day every day on the couch. Now, until I could get off the couch, there was no room for change. I couldn't even get off the couch. So my first step was to see my therapist. I do have a therapist that I work with when emotions are in the way. Usually when I have a bout of depression that is that severe, that I know that nothing else can happen until depression is better managed. But I'm curious, Cam, if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I think um, I've, I've got a couple. I'm just sitting over here trying to decide which one I want to share. <laughs> 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 all the all the other work. Um, I think that you know, so so we can have depression, but it's not necessarily static or at a certain level, right? That our environments and changes in our environment can really have certain things spike, like have us go into a depressive state or a period of time. Right. And then, you know, it's interesting that the ADD influences, it's not necessarily the cause, but it's at play, right? It's at play to, to get us into that state. And it's also in play, uh, not allowing us to get us out of that state, right? You just said, I was on my sofa and I couldn't get off, right? And the ADD, again, I was just talking with another, um, a colleague about, you know, Barclays, um, distinction about ADD is it's not just about the information not getting through. It's also the motivation is not linking up and getting through. It's a motivational self-regulation challenge. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of examples I'm just thinking about um, back to my days of, of teaching and I didn't have a strong sense of self and was very confused about why I wasn't able to do as other teachers did, right? We talked about sort of being the good manager, but at that time, um, you know, it, it, it was really frustrating. And what I had kind of set up was this imposter syndrome, right? I really started to doubt who I was and if I belonged, right? So the ADD influences, but it wasn't necessarily just the only cause, Right? This created an anxiety. It created a little bit of depression. And um, I, I couldn't really address change, you know, changing the way that I worked without addressing the way I felt about myself. Right? I had to address this imposter syndrome first. Um, in that case, I didn't work necessarily with a therapist, but I have worked with therapists in the past. My wife and I, we've been married almost 26 years, and um, at about year three, four, she was completely confused with who is this guy, 
you know, the guy that was such a competent sailor and the captain of my ship, <laughs> you know, was like, doesn't go and take the trash out, you know, for the 17th time. Like, what the heck? You know, so we had to do work with, uh, with couples counselors, you know, to get down to what really mattered for us. And again, it was just doing this other work, right? Recognizing it's not just the ADD. Um, but once we did that work and we decided to stay together, well, we were still together and we've been married for 26 years. So that's doing your other work. Right. Yeah, and I want to add one more thing to doing your other work, just to expand on what you said. Um, talking about your sense of self and how you lost that and who am I and all of that. Part of doing your other work and part of what we often do with new clients is helping them be curious. And you have to be in a place where you're at least open to that. You don't have to be good at it. And what I mean by being curious is being able to talk about your experiences or reflect on your experiences without judgmental language, as if you were a neutral observer of your own experience. And some clients, when they first come to us, are really bad at it because that self-judgmental language is just so innate in who they are. And that's okay if that's where you're at, by the way. Uh, that's certainly where I was when I started working with Cam as my coach. But you have to be open to trying to be curious, to telling the story twice. I make my clients do that all the time, right? Tell me that story again without all the, <laughs> without all the emotional baggage, right? Because that's where learning happens. So you don't have to be able to do it, but you have to be in a place where you're open to doing it, where you're open to letting go of self-loathing, of self-judgment, and trying to observe your experience in a curious way. Right. And that's going to be a sort of a, that's one of the, the sort of the, the cornerstones of um, if, if we sort of articulate our model, right, around understanding, owning, and translating. One of the cornerstones of that is this um, developing a healthy perspective, a distance from you and your stuff, and the ability to step back and develop that keen observer. Um, and I think that this is a good indicator of you know, when you know, to decide who do you do this work with, right? When the shame and the guilt, um, the regret, you know, when that is so overpowering that it gets in the way of being able to take a step and be in this learning place is when you work with someone else, right? You work with someone outside of the coaching uh, arena, Right, someone more in a counseling or, or a therapeutic role to help you again understand that um, and be able to address that and manage it, right? Manage it so then you can again um, move forward on on this path toward managing your ADD better. Well said. Yeah. Um, so so that's doing your doing your other work, right? That's number one. Number two is, or excuse me, it, number two was kind of strengthening awareness. And I think you had a beautiful segue there was strengthening awareness is exactly this cornerstone of developing a sense of curiosity. And this is the cool part with neuroscience is, right, guilt and shame 
lives deep in our emotional center. And when we are curious, you cannot be deep in your limbic in the um, sympathetic nervous system or that fight-flight center of the brain. When you are genuinely curious, you can't be afraid, right? Fear and anger and shame and guilt cannot coincide with curiosity, right? So curiosity is just like, you know, going for a walk, right? Or going for a run or going for a bike ride is it takes practice to get competent at it, right? Going to the gym, exercising this muscle of curiosity and strengthening awareness because awareness is where it all begins. ADD disrupts our ability to be aware. And that's going to be the frustrating part for most of our audience is like, and well, this is exactly how ADD shows up, but this is the way forward. And both Shelly and I have worked with so many people where they start in this place of frustration and like, I can't do this. Well, that's the ADD. With practice and with diligence and um, support, it can happen and it does happen. Yeah. My absolute favorite thing about coaching clients is that moment when you ask a question. So as coaches, we ask lots and lots of questions, but some are more powerful than others. Some land better than others. Some provoke more thought than others. But that moment when you ask that question that brings your client into that curious place and all of a sudden they can see what's really happening here. Just total 180 perspective change. Like I see it now. I'm letting go of all the the muck that I'm that I was digging around in, and I, I I I see it. And there's always this like you can hear their voice get lighter. They usually get excited. There's this literal aha. And I've created those moments for clients. I've had those moments being coached myself. It's it's incredible and it's almost indescribable unless you've experienced it as a coach or being coached. Right. And I think that it's that um, sort of uh, this, this, the process of owning, right? In our model of understanding, owning, and translating, that owning part, part of owning is accepting. Of accepting it is, you know, how it is. Um, I think that sometimes living with ADD, it's, again, this is the thing that I ranted about last time is this sort of like, oh, it's just this sort of um, consistent level of distractibility or to consistent level of forgetfulness or impulsivity. And it's not that at all. It's like this epic struggle with yourself and your tasks. Right. Uh, it's like the guy, you know, the two guys fighting for the parachute, you know, as they're free falling, <laughs> you know, like, and, and we're asking you to stop that struggle, right. To stop disengage. And what do we do as humans? We, we want to, if there's a problem, we attack it, right. We go in there and we like, you know, try to wrestle with it. We're asking you for curiosity is to actually breathe and step back and develop this keen observer, right? Um, I liken it to uh, that, that often drama is something that is very motivating for us, 
right? Drama and emotion are actually, uh, we go to the emotional state in order to get into action. Well, yeah, because right. it puts us on the arc hamster wheel, right? That That's we get right. so addicted to is people with ADHD. I right. have anxiety, so now I can motivate to action and then I'm going to crash and then I'm going to start all over again. We really do get addicted to that. Yes, anxiety is a great way to, to keep things front and center, right? And organize uh, your task list or, right? It's like, I got to remember to do X, Y, Z, right? Or having anxiety is keeps the thing front and center and is a coping mechanism. But then, as you said, it keeps us on that arc cycle, right? Um, and that hamster wheel. So the kind of the releasing and accepting and stepping back. Um, the analogy I like, Shelley, is the um, kind of where is the drama? Right. So if you think about a stage production, the drama is on the stage. Um, and, and it often, those of us with ADHD don't distinguish the stage from the, from the gallery or the, the spectator, uh, the audience. Right. We're just, you're there in the, in the drama. It's where the excitement is. It's where the stimulation is. It's where the energy is. But it's also, um, where the turmoil and, and frustration is too. So if you can kind of, First of all, see that there is an audience place and to step back. That curiosity can only really happen when we're not grappling, right? Or in the middle of the story, the circumstance, the drama to get back. I I had a client who would kind of look in her emails first thing in the morning to generate drama, to generate motivation, right? It's like... You know, who's, who's, you know, who am I going to like, you know, wrestle with today? (laughs) Um, So strengthening awareness is a step back move, getting some distance. And this is, again, these three areas of noticing time and your relationship to time. Noticing how ADD shows up, right? Getting more to cause than effect. Yeah. And And listen, we're not trying to take away the fact that you're good under pressure. We talked about that last time, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I am immensely good under pressure. It's really funny. I am married to a very, very neurotypical software engineer, right? Very linear, logical brained guy. But when something goes awry, like our air conditioner goes out, he doesn't know what to do. He just doesn't know how to deal with the unexpected. And I deal very well with the unexpected. So our dynamic is when catastrophe happens, I'm usually the one in charge. It's a strength or it can be a strength. But if that's the only well you're drawing from and everything has to be drama in order to get anything done, that's when we get into trouble. So it's okay to be good under pressure and it's it's okay to acknowledge that as a strength. But it doesn't mean that you have to be under pressure to get things done. Right. Or to create change. Yes. And so with that keen observer and developing curiosity with that keen observer is to notice how does change occur for you? Do you need, you know, do you rely on drama? Do you rely on adrenaline to create change? And so I think that's the right. Readiness for change is really starting to become a student of change. I, Shelley, I was telling you earlier about, so I was a geology major and there were like 
just this these two camps of of how geologic processes over the years these two camps back in the day right in the 1800s 1700s um these two camps developed of how these change occurred with the earth right there was the the cataclysmic um the, they're called the, the catastrophism, right? Or uh, catastrophic group, right? That change happens suddenly and, and you look at things and it's like, you know, the, the earth ripping open, right? The Grand Canyon, was that ripped open, you know, or was it more of a gentle process? And over time, they realized that um, this group, the gradualist or the uniformitarianisms, excuse me, uniformitarianism group, it's a big word, like that change is gradual over long, and this is when geologic time just ballooned, right? Went from 6,000 years to four and a half billion years, right? How do you go from 6,000 years on the biblical scale to this giant time and and this gradual change? For most of us, change occurs both catastrophically and chaotically and also gradually. If you're going from drama to drama, you're going to be more in that chaotic, catastrophic group, right? But when we want to create a meaningful and sustainable change, it, it ha- we have to start to appreciate well, what is change? How, is it, how does it happen? How can it happen? Well, if you're talking about change over a period of time, well, then there's that time piece. And then it's like, we have to be curious about time too, right? And as you said earlier, being open to changing our relationship with time, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm really going to struggle with those two geology words. That's a lot of syllables. Uh, sorry about that. That was... <laughs> I was I just geeked out for a moment. No, no, no. I, I, I love it. I, I love it. I love it. You ever do that thing where you get right. abrupt out? and gradual? That's the two camps. There we go. That was you it. Should have cut to it. Abrupt, <laughs> gradual. Oh, whenever I'm worried about pronouncing a word, I'm going to mispronounce. No, we're going to go with abrupt and gradual. Thank you. Thank there you. We go. There we Sure. You're welcome. So the thing is, is sometimes abrupt change can lead to good things. This podcast yes. came out of abrupt change, right? Yes. It came out of a lightning bolt moment and me just reaching out and asking you and us hitting the ground running, right? So it's not that you can't have that and that all change has to be excruciatingly slow. No, 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 no. But if you're only living in abrupt, I feel like change is happening to you more than you are happening to change. Does that make sense? Yes. And again, if it's um, how strategic can it be if you're doing this daily drama dance, right? It's more about the drama and the drama in the moment than being an architect of your change over a period of time. Right. And so speaking of our relationship with time, that's the ADHD now or not now. So you're creating this drama in the now. And maybe it's helping you deal with what's immediately in front of you. But all of this stuff that's just outside in the not now, the stuff that speaks to what you really want to be, do, and have in life is never going to be addressed in this dramatic way of create the drama, deal with the now right now, ride the arc hamster wheel, 
crash, recover, do it all over again. Right. Because things that matter to us take time. It's that simple that things that really matter, uh, you can't do in one day. It's about identifying it, engaging with it, and then engaging with it again and again and repeating that cycle. And this is where ADD disrupts, right? Is that we will get interested in something else. And then that meaningful thing that is pretty quiet, right? It doesn't create a lot of drama itself. It will lie dormant, right? Just be kind of quiet over in the corner. The, the thing that what I want to move to today is, again, so we've talked about doing your other work, um, becoming a student of change, um, and, and developing this keen observer awareness, bringing in the ADD piece here right, of, okay, let's just make a, a, a general statement that is true, and this is why people are here, is that your ADHD disrupts your ability to create positive change. And so, these two concepts, you want to become a student of change, and you want to become a student of your own ADHD experience, right, of it wasn't until I understood how ADHD got in the way of my ability to create positive change. When I started to learn about that and understand how that was impacting, did I actually create the change that I wanted to create? Should I go on? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is the work. This is the work that we do here is around noticing how the ADD is showing up before you start to create changes there. I mean, so many people come to coaching with, okay, I need to make some change. Well, not so fast. We've got to see how the ADHD is actually disrupting that ability to create change. Um, When I first started my coaching business, I went from the safety of teaching and collecting my own paycheck, regard, almost pretty much regardless of how I showed up, right? I mean, <laughs> I could show up and wing it, you know, and, and just pull it out of my pocket, right, uh, uh, of the, my lesson plans and, and, and could be fairly inconsistent there. I'd still get my paycheck. I'd right? still got paid. And, and so I was able to be uh, productive enough to put food on the table. When I went ahead and, and stopped teaching and opened, uh, put my shingle out for, for coaching, I was just by myself. I had a, you know, my big awareness moment happened about how ADD was really getting in the way. And it really had to do around follow through and completion. Because a couple years into my coaching business, not even a couple, I remember my wife saying to me or asking me, you know, what are you doing? And I was working and I'm like, I'm working. I'm like, well, what are you working on? Well, I'm working on my coaching. And she said to me, Shelly, no, you're not. <laughs> wow, that's brutal. It was totally brutal. And, 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 you know, I was fresh off the whole imposter syndrome thing. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, you know, it hurt. And it was, it was a little ache. I mean, it was, it, it was painful to hear that. And I got defensive. Um, but then I, you know, c- course corrected, realizing like, wait a second, you know, the thing I'd realized about um, our, our spouses can be, you know, 
what they say is really important. How they deliver it can be really painful. But if you kind of set aside the, the delivery and get to the truth, it can be the best stuff, right? Because our spouses are the people that see us the most. They have the information, right? They have that, they have that ringside seat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot there to share. Yeah. So you just described the keen observer, right? Your wife delivered this message in a way that hurt. And immediately at the time, you weren't able to be a keen, curious observer. So what did you do? You went defensive. I went defensive. Go ahead. Sorry. That's okay. Our clients do that sometimes, right? Like, It's one of the key things in a coaching relationship, I think, is developing that safe space where your clients don't default to defensive when you challenge them to hear something hard or to explore something painful. That's all I had. (laughs) Thought over. Yeah. um, Right. And so it's that ability to, again, the awareness of noticing your behavior in that moment, right? Oh, I'm getting defensive. Yeah. So is is that is that helpful right now? Like, how is that helping the situation? Um, So your initial reaction was to get defensive, right? And what happened? Then what happened was I, you know, again, it's like just seeking clarification. Like, well, what what do you mean? What what is what is the evidence? You know, what, what, what is it that you're wanting to share? See, that, that she wasn't really trying to hurt me. And it's like, well, she's sharing something. So it's about, you know, being open to uh, feedback, right? So opening myself to feedback, I asked her, what did she mean? And she said, um, you're not working because we don't have any money in the bank account. And that was hard for me to, to explain that one away. Right. Is that again, back when I was teaching, I could be, I could uh, show up and, and be messy, you know, but also get through my day. I had to get through my day and do a good enough job not to get fired. Now, I was a really, you know, I was a good teacher and I left on great terms uh, in my last, um, in, 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 in all of my teaching gigs. But, um, when I had to make that jump to actually um, selling a product, right? Going from marketing and that whole process of marketing myself, um, getting to have that conversation with potential clients, getting them to commit to coaching and then sending me a check, that process was daunting. And I would start down that path and develop my marketing and start to talk to some people. And at every Every one of those, um, in any one of those places in that process, I'm just to call it a place or inflection point, I could fall off. I could take a left turn. I could disengage. And what I noticed was um, my big learning was, oh, I'm not a completer. Right? I, I don't take things to a completion point. That was my biggest learning. And it was an epiphany of how my ADHD specifically showed up because to that point, it was in the background, you know, throwing in wrenches, but I didn't understand it until uh, I had that experience. And it was not, it wasn't necessarily pleasant. I knew it was painful. It was a, this acute awareness 
of the situation. And often in those moments, you kind of turn tail, right? You avoid, you freeze, or you fight. But in that case, it's not going into the, the fight flight center and the emotional response, but getting back and, okay, huh, that's interesting. I can see how this is really messing up my ability to create positive change. And so I had to become a student of that, right? It, it was either turn away and go get another job. Or if I was, if I was going to be successful as a coach, I had to solve this problem and I had to understand this whole lack of completion thing and why I was turning, you know, making left turns before I would deliver, you know, something, right? Um, a marketing plan, a blog, a presentation, a conversation, right? All those steps into bringing people into the door and having them write the check. And I could put it in the bank account. Yeah. I love this story, A, because I've never heard it before. And B... Really? You've never heard oh. that? <laughs> and, and, and I find that so surprising because completion is like the foundation of your work. The models that you create, <laughs> yeah. the, the classes that you teach, the work you do with your clients, the way that I coach my clients based on my learning from you as a mentor, right? It's all around the relationship between awareness, engaging on that awareness and actually getting to completion. And it's really a universal struggle for those of us with ADHD. I have never had a client with ADHD who didn't struggle with completion in some way. And when you're on your own, Nobody's holding your feet to the fire. Nobody's setting deadlines. There are no expectations for what you should do. And there's no roadmap for how to do it. It can be even tougher to reach completions. I think I, I see that in my entrepreneur clients so often. You know, I'm working so hard and I'm, I'm, I'm doing X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C, but I'm not getting anywhere. Right. And as I, you know, again, that's the, what happens is you, when you become a student of something, your level of sophistication increases, right? That I, it, I went from this story of procrastination to that, again, as you just said, as, becoming, as I became an entrepreneur, I realized that certain environments provided structural supports, right? When I was a teacher, there were all kinds of external supports and expectations, uh, modeling, from other teachers of this is what you're doing, but by myself didn't have those structures. And so I had to develop them myself. That's a really difficult thing to do when you have ADHD is to develop and sustain effective structural supports to getting things done, to carrying things to a completion point. And it's not just tasks, right? It's thoughts. It's a conversation. It's Yes, you know, taking the trash out, it can be a task, but it's all these different things is you can be in the middle of a thought and then take a right turn and you for, don't finish that thought. For me, it's so often stories. I'm notorious for starting one story and finishing a completely different story, never getting to whatever my point was <laughs> in the original story. Yes, right? and, and, and yeah, it leaves your, your audience flummoxed just at like... 
So, so just to kind of summarize, and if I get any of this wrong, by the way, step in and correct me because this is your story and not mine. But Cam's point here is the turning point was coming to awareness about failure to complete. And in order to do that, he had to be able to let go of judgment and emotion, evaluate what his wife said with curiosity, and then get really curious about his own failure to complete and what supports, what structures, probably even what completions are important. Right. And can I, and and that's great. And let me interject there in the middle there is to see my wife as a resource and not as a threat. Oh, I like that. Right. That that. it was, that was hurtful and threatening to me. And so what do I do? I duck, you know, evade, avoid, duck, cover. All right. Sort of a classic ADD move. Exactly. We've talked about this before. It's almost instinctual, right? Because those of us, especially those of us that are older and grew up before ADHD was as well recognized as it is now, as well diagnosed as it is now, especially for you and I both being inattentive type. Um, from a young age, we developed that sort of defensive, I'm not lazy. I'm not, I don't know why I can't do it, but I'm not lazy. But you're telling me I'm lazy and we get defensive, we get upset, right? And so it's almost innate in us when we are criticized to go to that place. Right. And I'll interject one more thing as you're summarizing here. And I know you're in the middle of your summary, but here's a really important piece is that I accepted my wife's input because we had already done our other work. Yeah. We had already decided, okay, this is this is kind of chaotic, right? And and uh, and there's a there's a lot of emotion and, and drama, but this guy's okay, and I'm going to stay with him. And I knew that, right? And I was going to stay with her. We had this commitment of we're committed. We'd already crossed that bridge. And so it was sort of like, he was like tested, you know, it was in the crucible, right? I mean, like, again, the, we'd burned off the impurities and we were moving forward. It was like, you know, we were already committed to each other. So that was the other thing is we'd done our other work previous to this moment. And I'm going to add on to your add on and say that this is also translating. Right. So having a dialogue with your wife about your ADHD experience is not just about hearing the hard truths and developing awareness about those, but it's also about articulating your experience to her so that you can draw on that resource so that she knows how she can support you. Right. Yeah. When I was able to come back to her and say, listen, you're helping me find my fundamental challenge with regard to this whole ADD thing. Wow. Um, that was that kind of cut to the chase, right? It, it cut a lot of the drama out. And we got clear on what needed to happen. And as you said, it was either I was going to turn away from this or I was going to become a student. And I'd become much more than just a student, right? I mean, I wrote a book with Casey Moore on curious accountability, which is all about powerful completion. Yeah. Um, the yeah. student has become the master. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> got a little better. <laughs> um. I love that. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the idea of translating is I do think that as people with ADHD, we have to be able to intelligibly articulate our experience to the neurotypicals around us, right? Because they, 
they see the effects, the lateness or the you're not doing work, there's no money in the bank, but they don't necessarily connect to the right causes because they don't have ADHD. They have no idea what it's like to live in this brain. But for those people that can be and want to be resources for us, your spouse, my spouse, my business partner, right? If we can't articulate to them in a way that they can better understand what's really happening, how in the heck are they going to help us? Exactly. You know, the people that love us don't default to why, why can't you just because they want to be mean. They do it because they don't understand why we can't just. So we have to be able to tell them why we can't just. Right. Which comes back to, again, that the ability to advocate for oneself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Absolutely. Anything else you want to tack on for the end of today's episode? Um, I don't think so. I think that, you know, there's, we, every time we talk, we're generating more good content, right, to dive into in, in successive podcasts. I think one of them is, again, how do you create positive structures? And especially if you are, you know, say if you're, you work by yourself um, and you're, you're not tapping into external positive structures of an organization, right? But how do you create that internal, uh, more of an internal supports when you, you know, walk down in your office in your house and you're by yourself and you are the master of your day, right? That you have to create everything, basically. How do you do that? Um, I think that a lot of people, what what's out there, I think, is that, you know, it can't be done. And I would disagree with that. Um, Either it can't be done or do it this one specific ADHD-friendly way and everything will magically work. And neither of those things is true. Right, right. So, but more great content for us to visit in future podcasts. Yeah, and we'd love to know what you're curious about based on what we're talking about here. So if you heard something that you'd like to hear us expand on, definitely reach out and let us know. The website is translatingadhd.com. I'm Shelly. I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks so much for listening.